Uh, we're in the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings, and we're not going through the whole Gospel. Uh, what we're trying to do is concentrate on those passages uh, that are more Gospel in nature. And by that, we mean uh, the basics, and that doesn't necessarily mean just the old, old story of Jesus and his love. It means being challenged as well. And as we look at chapter 13 of Mark, that is what is facing us, a gospel challenge. So whether we claim to be Christians or not, we need to be challenged by the word of God. And Jesus Christ had been teaching in the temple. That's where we left him. And he'd been asked all sorts of trick questions by the religious leaders. They wanted to condemn him. And he was given much wisdom uh, to answer them. And then last Sunday, we looked at him turning from defense to attack by asking them a question. And they were speechless. They couldn't say anymore. Jesus then leaves the temple. He's never again going to return to the temple. That, that's quite sobering. And the disciples, as they're leaving, say to him, look at this building. The temple, it's magnificent. And instead of agreeing with them, <laughs> do you know what Jesus says? Verse 2, if you've got a Bible, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another and shall not be thrown down. I'm sure the disciples were gobsmacked. The temple, right, in Jerusalem was one of the most magnificent buildings in the ancient world it was covered in gold and bronze and they said of it if you looked at it from a distance because it was built on mount moriah uh, so it was on a prominence uh, it was like a mountain of gold it was one of the wonders of the ancient world and i'm sure the disciples were expecting jesus to agree with them what an amazing building we've got Jesus says, one day, and it's not that far off, it'll be a pile of stones. And he goes on then, they're climbing. Have you ever been to Jerusalem? Have you, uh, you've got on the east side of Jerusalem, you've got the temple, and then you've got the Kidron Valley, and then if you climb on the other side, you're going up the Mount of Olives. So the disciples leave the temple, they go down into the Kidron Valley, and then they're climbing up the Mount of Olives. And there's a very famous view of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. Uh, you can see the gold of the dome, as it is called now. And looking down on the temple, the disciples, four of them, ask Jesus, when is this going to happen? When is this destruction? And for the rest of this chapter, Jesus gives one of his most famous sermons, which is called the Olivet Discourse. And it's one of the most complicated messages he ever gave. <laughs> and I know this is supposed to be a gospel sermon, but it's very important. Some of the things he has to say. Why is it complicated? Well, he's speaking in this sermon of two events that are going to happen, right? Two events. The destruction of the temple, and that happened in 70 A.D., about 40 years after Jesus was speaking, one generation, the Roman army besieged Jerusalem and 
there were many, many lives lost. It was one of the bloodiest uh, uh, events in history. And the temple was razed to the ground. So the destruction of the temple, he's prophesying that. But at the same time, he's prophesying the second coming, the day of judgments. And they're intertwined. There's no clear structure to this sermon. So when people say to preachers uh, that they should have clear structures, well, Jesus Christ didn't always have a clear structure. These two events are mingled together. They're intertwined. And to make it even more complicated, the destruction of the temple is like a rehearsal because it was a judgment of God to the second coming and the final judgment. So you've got all these things mixed together and it's difficult to separate them, right? So you'll say to me, Pastor, if this is supposed to be a gospel sermon, I don't want to be confused. I don't want my friends who want to know about Christianity to be confused. Neither do I. (laughs) You know, it's easy when you come to a chapter like this to get preoccupied with the second coming. Uh, uh, When I was in Aberystwyth, we had one uh, believer. He was called Chris, and he had a nickname, Chris Tapes. Chris Tapes. Because after a gospel meeting, he'd invite you up into his room, and you'd listen to tapes. Not of gospel sermons, but of sermons about the second coming. And the people in uh, these sermons would be trying to look at events that were happening in the world. Uh, It was the Gulf War when I was a student. And they were trying to interpret that in terms of the prophecies here in Mark 13. And you can get so bogged down by the details that you don't get the thrust of Jesus' message. My friends, it's the thrust of the message that counts. Now, did you notice in the reading... Uh, If I had read the whole chapter, you would have noticed it even more. There are certain words that are used several times. So if you've got a Bible, verse 5. Take heed. Do you know what that means? Be careful. Take heed. Verse 9. Watch out for yourselves. Verse 23. Take heed. Verse 33. Have I got that right? Yeah? Take heed. Verse 35. Watch. What's the last word in the sermon? Watch. So what we have here is a gospel challenge, a warning. And all I want us to do this morning is look at one warning, which is echoing with the words, take heed. And when we remember that Jesus wasn't speaking here to unbelievers, but to believers, and when we consider he wasn't just speaking to believers, but to people who were preaching the gospel, and when we consider he wasn't just talking to believers who were preaching the gospel, but apostles then we should take heed to ourselves. Are you thinking this morning, because this is a gospel message, it's not for me because I'm a Christian. Take heed. Now, what's the verse I want us to look at? Uh, Well, it's the last verse in the reading we had. Verse 13, the last sentence in the verse. Verse 13b, as commentators say, 13b. He who endures to the end shall be saved. He who endures to the end shall be saved. 
two points. The first is endurance is important. How do I know if I'm a Christian? Um, sometimes when we have camps in the summer, people say they've become a Christian. This time of year, it's quite common. How can I know that I'm genuine? Uh, maybe you say you're a Christian. You've been a Christian for years, maybe. How do I know if I'm the real thing? According to Jesus, he that endures shall be saved. Why is it so important? Uh, forgive me if I go right back to basics here. Be saved. The first thing that struck me when I uh, came into contact with evangelicals was that they were always talking about being saved. We don't hear much about being saved today, do we? Being saved, and the word salvation comes from it. And what Jesus is saying here is this. Unless you endure, unless you carry on, you're not truly saved. Now, why is being saved so important? Uh, Jesus Christ talks about the gospel. Uh, that's the same thing as being saved. Uh, where does he refer to the gospel? Verse 10, the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. So what is this being saved all about? Uh, well, it's the old, old story. It's about us as humanity uh, being under condemnation, as I was explaining to the children. We're on the broad road when we're born into this world that will eventually lead to destruction. Being saved is about being plucked from that broad road and through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, being put on the narrow way. And the moment we are saved, whether that happens suddenly or gradually, we are on the narrow way. We are sins forgiven because of the cross. But that's just the beginning. Just the beginning. I heard of uh, one man. Uh, he lived next door to a minister. And this man would come home drunk uh, quite often. And the minister once was able to ask him, uh, are, are, you, are you a Christian? Something like that. And the man pulled a piece of paper out of his pocket and he said, yes, even though I go out and get drunk most nights, it's all right, he said. I'm saved. And he pointed to uh, a leaflet that he'd signed once. <laughs> And what he's doing is depending on the fact that he's accepted Jesus. It doesn't matter how he's living now. But what Jesus is saying here is this. Unless we are still keeping on following him, we're not saved. It doesn't matter how spectacular our experience was. The day we believed in him, we were saved then. If we're not enduring, we are not saved. And if not being saved means we're still on the broad road that leads to destruction, that's frightening, isn't it? You know, I don't like it when preachers uh, try to get you to feel at ease by cracking jokes. I don't like that. Because what preaching is about 
is, in the words of Moses, setting life and death before people. Eternal life, eternal death. And being saved is about being on the way to eternal life. Life is real, isn't it? Life is earnest, and the grave is not our goal. Dust thou art, to dust returnest, was not spoken of the soul. Are we saved? How do I know? By my endurance. Um, Somebody might pipe up. Well, pastor, aren't you teaching here that we're saved by works then? Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) Martin Luther said, the faith that saves is directed to Christ alone. We're saved by faith alone. What Jesus did on that cross saves us, nothing else. But the faith that saves doesn't work alone. It's got fruits. Do you get that? What Jesus is saying is this. If we are truly trusting in his death for us, we will know that by the fruits. And the fruit here is endurance, that we're still keeping on. Uh, Somebody asked George Whitsfield, the famous 18th century evangelist, about a certain person. Are they saved? They asked, are they saved? And do you know what George Whitfield said? I don't know. I haven't lived with them. Isn't that interesting? I don't know. I haven't spent a long time with them. I haven't noticed their fruit. So I'm not asking you what you say. You know, we can parrot our theology. That doesn't make us saved. Do you know who the greatest theologian is? He knows the Bible much better than you or I. The devil. The devils believe. In that sense. We may have had a spectacular experience. Somebody had an experience the week before I was converted. And the the room lighted up even. He's nowhere now. It's not our zeal that means we're Christians. We can be tireless in preaching. We can be involved in the church. That doesn't mean we are saved. What means we're saved is this. We're still going with the Lord. It's the direction, isn't it? Um, I've used this illustration before. An old compass, you know, uh, we don't use them anymore, do we? People who go mountain walking now, they have these um, fancy uh, uh, digital uh, compasses. I still prefer an old compass. Give me an old compass any day. And if you put an old compass on an uneven surface, the north needle just goes all over the place. But once the compass settles, the north needle settles. It can't help but point north. And that... (laughs) That, that's what it's like being a Christian, if I can put it like that. It doesn't mean we're perfect. Oh, no, we, we are still sinners, right? We, we let the Lord down. Uh, some of these disciples were about to do that. But the thing is, even when our faith is shaken and we're going all over the place, eventually 
we point to him because we can't help it. We can't help it. It's the difference between Peter, who denied his Lord, but he came back, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed his Lord and hung himself. It's the direction of travel. Are you saved? Am I saved? In a few days' time, Judas Iscariot, who was listening, would betray Jesus with a kiss. I do not want to discourage you, right? <laughs> These are facts. UCCF released figures a few years ago that said the proportion of people who attended CEUs and even people who were CEU presidents a few years afterwards are no longer walking with the Lord. Uh, I was in college for three years. Only one of the presidents is still going on with the Lord. The other two, nowhere. You think of people in this church, those of you who've been around for a while, people who were involved in the work, people who were so spiritual. Where are they now? He that endures shall be saved. The fact that you're a pastor doesn't mean you are real. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Do, do you listen here to the words of Jesus? Are we preoccupied with the charts and all the details or are we listening? Take heed. Watch. Are you feeling at this moment... Is it me? Am I real? Then take heart, because if we feel like that, I think it shows we are. It's the person who's not worried that should be worried. C can you say, I'm still going on with the Lord. My faith is feeble, yes, but thank God it's real. I still fail him, yes, but thank God I eventually come back. So that's my first point the importance of endurance to prove that we're saved. But my second point, and maybe I need to dwell more on this because th this is uh, a question. How do I endure, right? How, how can you and I keep on keeping on? If the proof is in the fact that we're still here, how can I uh, make my calling and election sure? Uh, Jesus, using the word endurance, brings one thing to mind. Uh, maybe you've seen uh, programs about endurance events. Have you, have you seen, um, uh, there's a famous program on the Barclay Marathon in the States. It's insane as an endurance event. Uh, one of the greatest endurance events in Wales is the Dragon's Back, where people run from North Wales over all the hills all the way down to uh, Castell Carrickenan in South Wales. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's an endurance event. Not just a marathon, not just a double marathon, but <laughs> to keep on keeping on is the big thing. Now, how do I endure? How do people endure when they do that? Listen, the first thing is they realise what they're entering into. The Christian life is not a sprint. 
Maybe that's the mistake a lot of people make when they first hear the gospel. Uh, They think it's just wonderful being saved on top of the mountain. But the problem is you don't stay on top of the mountain. If you're saved in university or if you're saved during camp or if you're saved during a mission, yes, it's wonderful. But very soon you've got to go back into the real world. You've got to go back down the mountain. You've got to live. And it's difficult, isn't it? Standing up for Jesus Christ, standing up in work, in school, in university, standing up against the temptations of the flesh, standing up against the allurements of the world. Do we know what we're entering into? Uh, You have so many warnings in the Gospels about this. Uh, The parable of the sower the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises, they fall away. The cares of life and the deceitfulness of riches causing them to fall away. Look at the sermon here. What does Jesus refer to in the first half of his sermon here? Oh, isn't this a very vivid description of life? Uh, Verse 7, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, this isn't just before the destruction of the temple. This isn't just immediately before the second coming. But we're in the last days. The last days is between the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And there are always going to be conflicts. Wars and rumors of wars. What did they say after the First World War? This is going to be the war to end all wars. That's one of the cruelest jokes ever uttered. Only a few decades later, it was the Second World War, which was even more destructive. There will always be wars because of human nature. We're fallen. And then he talks about nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom. The world is polarized. It always has been in a way. And then earthquakes. There was even an earthquake in the Midlands. Earthquakes, famines, troubles. And I'm sure we can add to that plagues, pandemics, they've always been. It's part of living in this fallen world. You know, there are some people who say, if you become a Christian, you're no longer going to have those problems. That's not the gospel according to Jesus Christ. Jesus says, when you're saved, you're still in the world. You're still going to get ill. You're still going to suffer what everybody else has to go through. Bereavements, tragedies. You're not going to be kept, in one sense, from those things. Do you realize that? That God watching over you does not mean you're immune to normal suffering. He will keep your soul, praise God. But we still have to go through the same things. And then, of course, and this is what I want to say more than anything, when you become a Christian, you will have troubles that are peculiarly Christian in nature. What does Jesus talk about? Verse 9, they will deliver you up to councils and you will be beaten in the synagogues. Well, we haven't had that, have we? (laughs) Um, 
But the principle is there. You will be opposed. Haven't you found that to be the case? If you don't get any opposition, you're not a Christian. Jesus said, as they opposed me, the master, they will oppose you, the follower. If you've got the light of Jesus Christ in you, people are in darkness. They don't like the light. So we're not thinking just physical opposition now. We're thinking of psychological opposition. At work, you may be cold-shouldered. At school, you may be poked fun at. In university, people may just see you as different. In a family, you may feel isolated. All those things are persecutions in a way. Are you ready for that? And if you are suffering that, do you realise you signed up for it? You signed up for it. I signed up for it. And from my limited experience, it's religious people who persecute the worst. I think of the way you were opposed here by the liberals. They, they, they hated the gospel of grace, didn't they? You will be hated by all, verse 13a, for my name's sake. We just haven't got time to go through all the things, and I don't want to just remind us of the problems. But I'm convinced, you know, that this horrible pandemic is, in a way, isn't it a test to see, are we genuine? Are we still going to be standing after this lockdown, praise God if we are, because it shows we are real. I've heard of churches that are not going to open anymore. Well, isn't that God's way of winnowing the true from the false? Whatever's of God is going to last. It's going to last forever. Whatever's of us is going to be no more. Do you know what these Stones. Isn't this a beautiful building? Do you, do you think this is a beautiful building? I love preaching in this church because even though it's a big church, everybody feels close. I think it's a beautiful building. One day it'll be no more. This building isn't our Christianity. We don't need this building. So are you aware what you signed in, signed up for? Is this Newton? Why should I complain of want or distress, temptation or pain? He told me, no less, the heirs of salvation I know from his word through much tribulation must follow the Lord. Uh, we began last Sunday by singing, and are we yet alive? And I had some people asking me, Pastor, what kind of summer holidays did you have? <laughs> But that hymn was originally written by Charles Wesley and they had the Methodist conference every year and they were persecuted, those Methodists, right? And they met in the conference every year and they meant it when they sang and are we yet alive to see one another's face? Blood, sweat, tears... That's what the Christian life includes. But I don't want to leave you with that. I, I just want to mention a few other things. 
in the account in Luke, it says, by your patience. It says, he that endures to the end shall be saved. But then he goes on to say, by your patience, you possess your souls. So it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And it's plodding, isn't it? Plodding one day at a time. Ian that a tro. Famous Welsh rendition. And then... In the account in Matthew, it talks about the love of many growing cold. It's not gritting your teeth and just getting on with it. That's called stoicism. Marcus Aurelius, one of the Roman emperors, he appears in Gladiator. He was a stoic. Christianity is not stoicism. It's not a matter of just getting on with it. Oh, no. What does Jesus Christ talk about here? Uh, Nehemiah talks about the joy of the Lord as your strength. I started the meeting reading Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You can imagine these disciples gutted when they hear about the destruction of the temple. Uh, I guess they thought that their religion needed the temple, everything revolved around the temple and the sacrifices. But Jesus is saying, if the temple is no more, your salvation is still there. My friends, we don't need the outward trappings. We don't need this building. We don't need uh, whatever meetings we have. Jesus Christ is our temple. What's the temple? The temple is God's dwelling place on earth. Where is God dwelling? Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. The early church didn't have buildings. They met in schools and in lecture halls. And the sacrifices, no more sacrifices, they're not necessary. They're not necessary. The sacrifice is made. Jesus dying on the cross. And then the Holy Spirit is mentioned. Uh, Did you notice that? Verse 11, when they arrest you and deliver you up, Do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak, but whatever is given you in that hour, speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a specific promise for them. But every Christian is indwelt by the Spirit. Why was I saved in the first place? Why am I still going on with the Lord? It's not me. It's the Spirit of Christ. It's being regenerated by the Spirit that produced faith in trusting in Jesus Christ. And it's that Spirit that has been working in me ever since. The Holy Spirit energies, the Comforter, Jesus by His Spirit with us. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say of Pilgrim's Progress, I'm going to quote from it in a minute, he used to say of the journey that Christian did from the city of destruction to the celestial city, it's not so much that Christian was willing to go through all those difficulties, it was the fact that he was so in love with his Lord and Saviour that he didn't count those difficulties uh, a sacrifice, you know? What did C.T. Studs say? If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Looking unto Jesus. Are you looking to the cross? Consider him. He had it worse. 
What our problems compared to what Jesus Christ suffered? He suffered my hell. He suffered temptation far more intense. He suffered persecution I will never have to go through. And you know what? I'm following in his footsteps. Praise be to his name. What a pleasure. What a privilege to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. And to have the Holy Spirit in us. Uh, when I started in this church, I used this illustration. Um, it shows my age. Do you remember the illustration about Duracell batteries? Do you remember that? Uh, you had these, um, were they um, toys that had normal batteries in them? And uh, after a while, they would die. <laughs> but the toys that had Duracell batteries, I can't remember what the formula was. Did it say seven times longer or something uh, like that? You know... What kind of batteries have you got? What kind of batteries? Is it your own batteries? If it's your own batteries, you're going to die eventually. You're not going to make it. If it's the battery of the Holy Spirit, you're never, ever going to die. The Holy Spirit, the forgotten one. And then... The big picture, the big picture. The gospel must be preached in all the world. Do you know, are we ready just to die in order to live? Are we ready uh, to be the scaffolding that God uses to build the church? Uh, empires rise and fall, don't they? The Roman Empire was used by God to spread the gospel. In God's time, that empire fell. He used the British Empire. That empire fell. Other empires are coming up. As scaffolding, are you ready to just be scaffolding as long as the gospel is going out? Does it matter? Does it matter? As long as I can just be part of that. Tertullian, one of the leaders of the early church, said, or oh, what did he say? I've got to really hurry here. We multiply whenever we are mown down by you. The blood of Christians is the seed of the church. I said I'd finish with a quotation for Pilgrim's Progress. He that endures to the end. Are you keeping on, keeping on? How can I do it? You're aware what you signed up for. You're looking to Jesus Christ. You're aware of the spirit within. Uh, you know, it's like this. The outward man is perishing, isn't it? It's, we're getting older, we're getting older. And yet the inner man is being renewed day by day. You may wake up one morning feeling like giving up. And yet there's something in you that says, carry on. That's the Holy Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit. And we're surrounded by great cloud of witnesses. They're not spectators. They're people who've run the race and have finished. And they're surrounding us. Some of us maybe are reaching the final lap. And all the people that have finished, they're cheering us on. They're saying, carry on. What was Spurgeon's phrase? Keep on keeping on. Winston Churchill was asked to give a speech in his old school, Harrow, after the Second World War. And so the pupils were probably in awe and looking forward to hearing from this great man. And he got up on his feet. Uh, we'll have to do with uh, Winston instead of Bunyan. He got up on his feet. And do you know what he said? Never. 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 Give in.
And then he went back and sat down. <laughs> the shortest speech ever. But he had all the Second World War behind that. Never. 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 Give in. For his namesake. We're going to stand sing. Uh, have we got enough uh, time to sing? Is that all right? Yeah, we'll stand to sing. And again, we're going to have to um, make a joyful noise in our hearts. A sovereign protector I have, unseen, yet always at hand. Father in heaven, we just thank thee that we are 
sinners here this morning, but not just sinners, but sinners so signally loved, and we just want to praise thee that we to the end shall endure as sure as the earnest is given. We thank thee for the down payment of the Holy Spirit and that whatever the devil, the world, or even our own flesh may try to do, they will not stop thy work. He that has begun a good work shall complete it. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Saviour, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen.